Our Father, we, we thank you, Lord, so much for this day that you have given to us and that we could gather here uh, today to talk about your church and, and your plan for your church. Lord, I, I'm just excited about the way that uh, you are at work in our world today. And Lord, uh, to think that you have, um, you have sought us out when we were rebels against you. Um, Lord, you have uh, shown us the true condition of our heart and the solution that you have given to us. Father, we just uh, pray that you would help us to understand these things more clearly, more more deeply in its nuances. We pray, Lord, that even the things that we study today wouldn't be just jumping through a hoop. But Lord, it would really, truly cause us to, to worship you. Uh, to walk with you uh, in the newness of each and every day, to live in a way that would bring glory and honor and praise to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are going to talk today about just sort of an introduction to church membership, and I'm going to probably get in a roll and just get going and just move. And so if you have a question interrupt me because I probably won't stop. So um, if you'll do that, um, then we'll, we'll be good. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about what is membership because I think oftentimes uh, church membership by some is perceived as uh, something different than what it is. You know, I mean, you know, how many here have a membership to the YMCA or something like that, you know, or some social club or, you know, you belong to some kind of organization? You know, a lot of us either are or have been part of organizations like that. And sometimes I think with Christianity and, and with the church, we can oftentimes think it's a lot like that. And uh, so I want to talk just a little bit about membership. And some, you know, probably most of this stuff. You have heard before, but I don't want to assume everything. This is sort of a, a class to bring the, the playing level or playing field level so that we're all sort of on the same page. So for some of you, this will be reviewed. For some of you, it may be, be very new. But I also want to talk about what are the implications of what the Bible talks about for Kirk of the Plains. And so there's a sense in which, you know, you may not learn a lot, but I, I hope it also will stir you to walk with the Lord and to follow him more closely. And that we can do that together as a, as a local church community as well. So let's just talk about what is uh, church membership. Uh, the Christian life is not really meant to be lived alone in isolation. You know, it's, it's one of those things where Jesus Christ died not only to save us as sinners you know in america we want to emphasize it's just jesus and me you know jesus died uh, for my sins so that i could walk with him but he also died to gather those sinners together to be a people for himself now what were the people called in the old testament god's people what were they called the israelites okay he created a nation you know, didn't choose a nation. He actually created a nation and made them a people for himself. In the New Testament, who is God's people? Yeah, the church. Okay, so so it's the church, and uh, and so that was God's intent all along. So when we're saved, we're not only united to Christ, but we are united to each other as well. Look, if you would, at Philippians chapter one. And if you don't have your Bibles, same on you. No, if you don't have your Bibles, look on somebody else's. Um, Paul, after he gives his greetings to the church at Philippi, in verse three, then uh, he says to them, and and you got to remember, uh, the Philippian church was a church that had been very much involved in Paul's ministry from the beginning. And supported him and sent people and just there was a lot of love and affection between Paul and the Philippians. And Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, that word partnership in the Greek is koinonia, which means what? What's koinonia? What? Fellowship. fellowship. Okay. So we have that fellowship in Christ. And what that means is that, that word there, partnership, 
means a shared life that we have in Christ. So, you know, Tim is in Christ and I am in Christ and Tim is in Christ, different Tim, and Calvin is in Christ and Grace is in Christ. And so, you know, it's not only is Christ the hub where you are connected to where we're all connected to him, but we're also connected to each other as well. So we need not ever forget that. So the life that we have is really not our own. And I don't mean that just in the sense of our relationship with Christ, but I mean it also in terms of our relationship with each other. That has a lot of implications for the church and, and how we live. So the reality is we're not just connected to Christ in some generic way. And, um, you know, just like connected to the church in general. You know, you, you hear Christians sometimes talk about that, about if you say, well, what church do you belong to? Well, I don't really belong to a church. You know, uh, so are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't belong to a church. You know, I'm just sort of part of the invisible church or, you know, the, the, the church of Christians of all ages and all believers of all time. You know, or I'm just sort of, uh, you know, so they'll, they'll talk like that. But that's really not the way that Scripture speaks about church membership. If you look at Matthew 28, another very familiar passage. Um, somebody read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm sorry, out loud. <laughs> I can tell you, if two of you are free to learn about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father and Mother. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Is that 28? Oh, 19. It was 19 to 20. Oh, uh, well, Matthew 28? Oh, sorry, No, that's fine. That's a great verse, by the way, you know. <laughs> no, you're fine. This is Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and given to me, and go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so. You know, there's a sense in which uh, Christ is calling his church to go and to make disciples. He's calling them to baptize them. You know, is is that a sense in which Christ is calling people to do that just sort of in a generic, broader, worldwide church sense? No, it was it was local churches in which there, that discipleship would take place. It was local churches in, in which that those baptisms would take place. It was a, a gathering of people. Um, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but you can write down Romans uh, 16 verses 3 through 5, which Paul gives his greetings to the church that meets in the home of Priscilla and Aquila. So there, there's actually a, a local group of, of Christians. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 15, Colossians 4, 15, it talks about the church of Nympha, N-Y-M-P-H-A. And uh, so, you know, um, whenever we talk about the church, it's not just the invisible sort of this generic church that's out there. The Bible oftentimes and very much talks about the churches and local congregations. And even in Philippians, there's greetings not only to the saints at Philippi, but also the elders and the deacons as well. This shows sort of that, that church structure that's there. And uh, so, you know, although people oftentimes mistakenly think that they're just part of the invisible church, that's not really the language of Scripture. You know, the Bible does speak about Christians as being part of a local church body. And so what that means is, is that as Christians, God doesn't save us just to be lone rangers. And so that has implications for us. But it's also going to have implications for people that we run into as well. And you're going to run into it. And, and probably I could go around the room and you could probably give me examples of people that you know in your life who would say, I'm a Christian and yet they don't go to church. And they think that's just fine. But they've not really read the scripture to understand what the Bible says. And in one sense, that's just a ploy of Satan. OK, because, you know, if people can think, well, I'm OK with Christ. 
And yet God's design, Christ's design, was for us to be part of a body, um, then they're missing out on part of the ramifications of the salvation. Now, I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they may be misled Christians. And so when, when Paul is, is talking about these things, he, he talks about it for our good. You know, that God knows that we need membership. We may not feel like we need membership, but we definitely need membership because the Lord knows that, you know, we need to be encouraged by one another. He knows that we need to be held accountable by one another. The Bible talks about in Hebrews about spurring one another on uh, in, in your faith. And there are just times when you just don't want to get out of bed and you just you just don't want to come to worship or you don't want to do those things. And, and but God has put his believers in the church and then he works through that church to help us to grow. And there is a video series that we I will guarantee you we will do at some point in time. Some of you have gone through it with me in the past, but it talks about um, that our walk with God is a community event. And we're going to go through that uh, just to sort of solidify that in our minds and help us uh, to see that. So that's why God has given pastors and teachers and shepherds to the flock, as we read in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11, and 1 Peter 5 as well, you know, to, to sort of help with that. So there is a sense in which being part of the church and, and, and having church membership comes because we're in Christ. And, and, and that's what we do. But there's a sense of a, a commitment there. There's a, a personal component where we desire to be part of the larger body of Christ. But there's also a public com- component where you're being baptized and a member of a covenant community making a profession of faith, and, and which we will have you do. So uh, practically, that means membership in a local body of believers where believers, gifts, are exercised you know when you're here and we're going to you know as a pastor i am going to do everything i can to help you to use your gifts to use at kirk of the plains and um and i know that i'm doing you a favor when i do that you know i had a an elder one time tell me he says rick he said i sort of feel like you think it's god's call on your life to make sure that i stay busy and i said well i don't know about that but I said, but I do know that it is my calling to help you to know what your gift is and to use that gift in the body for the building up of the body. And, you know, it ought to be, you know, and I know some of us have a temptation to do nothing in the church. And that's one ditch we might fall into that's wrong. But then there's others, especially those that maybe have the gifts of help. Um, they will try to do everything in the church. And that's the other ditch we want to stay away from as well. But if everybody does just the thing that the Lord has called them to do, and for some of us that might be one thing, for some of us that might be five things, I don't know. But we want to make sure that everybody is using their gifts because the Lord has brought you to Kirk of the Plains for a reason, because he's gifted you in a certain way to encourage and and to help this body. And so, um, so then if somebody were to ask you, how is it different? And being a member of Kirk of the Plains from being a member of the YMCA or some other social organization, what would you say? No membership fees. No membership fees. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe people think the tithe was a membership fee. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway. What else? Well, in the the other membership class, pretty much going to receive as privilege or as a service. You are going to receive, 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 and just use and get benefits. It's not that you have much to give to them. That's right. I think in the church, it's different because, well, it's going to be a blessing through the word of God that we and the fellowship that we will be blessed, but also we are called to be a blessing. Yeah. It's like a... It's not just about what I get from it, but what can I give? Yes, exactly, exactly. There's um, a spiritual component to it, which is not present in any other earthly membership. Uh, we are all uh, united to Christ, and that is what's our, that's our commonality that holds us together. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the other thing, too, is with uh, with YMCA or something like that, we join. That's our choice. We want to join. And then if we want to 
actually take advantage of that membership we can if we want to just stay home and you know just pay our, our our fee to that club we can do that but we can go or we can not go and whatever level of participation we want to do is sort of up to us i mean uh, oh, an earthly membership is really about what we desire we're the one that chooses to be part of it and we determine how much we want to be a part of it but in the church that's not the case you know we are part of the church because we are in christ and uh, and he has called us uh, to serve there, but also to benefit there as well. And so uh, it is a sense in which it'll be an encouragement. So anyway, any questions about what church membership is and how that differs and sort of what the expectations are with that? Yes, so. Um, I don't uh, I don't know if you have met people, but... What's the difference, or why? And so you have some people that said, "Well, I don't have to sign any paper or any commitment just to be committed." You know, isn't that, that's not necessary? Like, if there's like a and a non-visible, a non-need for a visible agreement of that participation. I mean, I just I go all the time. I help and everything. I don't need to sign any membership. Uh, you know, is that where. Do you want to explain a little bit of how it started, or when, why it's been needed, or the well, format, like the format, like this, like there's, I can be an informal committed member, right? Versus, uh, going through the procedure. Yeah, I think you know, I think part of there, there's probably a lot of to answer that, but just maybe one place to start is I think even in the culture in which we live, it's really important. I really doubt if the church at Philippi that they had a new members class. I, I really doubt it. Now, they may have, and I could be wrong, but I really doubt it. And, and they probably didn't have you stand up and give the five vows of the PCA, especially since the PCA didn't start until 1973. But, you know, but the reality is there was a sense of you did belong to that, and there is that sense of commitment. Um, you know, if people had that understanding and there was a sense of submission to the leadership, and a, and a commitment there, then you know maybe that it wouldn't be so necessary. But in the culture in which we live, that's not the way things are. It is very much more that club mentality, and I can do whatever I want to do. I guess I would also sort of turn that question back upon them and say, well, then why not give those vows? If you are so committed as that, then what is keeping you? Why why is this sort of distasteful in your mouth to? to be willing to make that commitment publicly, you know, to let people know that you're a follower of Christ. Well, and isn't the so. purpose of membership um, for accountability Yeah. and for responsibility? Um, because I've also seen at work in, in people's lives that, well, I pulled my membership up because I was offended by this or that. Well, come to find out there was gross sins and they didn't want that to become public yeah. and have public discipline done upon them. Um, and that's a whole thing that they needed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's so God's grace. Turn, yeah, so they could turn from their sin. And, um, so they just had to do it. The Lord worked in that, but the long way. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. That's very true. So, okay, so let me just, uh, these are great questions. Uh, so what? what's the membership process in a nutshell? Different PCA churches do it just a, a little bit differently, but the basic structure is this. First of all, you, you go through a class like this, a membership class. And this is really just to introduce to you who we are as Kirk of the Plains, what we believe, and and you know just give those kind of details. Uh, this class here is probably gonna be different than any other class that we do, okay? And a lot of that is, is because I know that many of you are members or have been members of Presbyterian or Reformed churches, and so you know a lot of this stuff. So I'm probably gonna go through some things very quickly, okay? But if I go through it too quickly, say, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not a member of a Presbyterian church. I don't understand these things. And I will even be willing to meet with people sort of individually and walk through these things as well. I really, I, you know, I don't want this just to be a hoop that you jump through, that it's just a formality. I really do want us to sort of be on the same page. So if everybody, if most everybody is like, yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about, but there's one or two or three people who go, yeah, I'm not so much so, then let me work with you, you know, outside of this time to sort of help bring you up to speed in terms of that, okay? Um, I would also say this too. Uh, I, I do hope one day to have a communicants class, okay? Because I think that for those that, uh, have not 
made a public profession of faith yet and been a community member of a church for our young people. So, you know, that we're, you know, 11, 12, 13, whatever, sort of that age, you know, um, it is really helpful to go through a communicative class and sort of go through these things a little more slowly, a little bit more carefully. And I've done this, a communicative class, oh, I don't know, half a dozen times, I bet, at least over the years. And, and I have found that our covenant children know a lot of things, but they've not put all the pieces together. And so, and, and, and the way I teach the class is, the book, the book that I use is actually this one, Understanding the Faith. I also supplement it. This is just sort of the basic, and then I sort of throw in some other things as well. But Understanding the Faith by Stephen Smallman. And he just, it's basically just filling in blanks, looking at scripture, the confession, and, and filling this out. And it's not that if you just fill out this book that all of a sudden all the pieces are put together. Um, I, I am sort of, I played devil's advocate a lot in a communicants class. And I really pushed the kids and I said, so you're saying this. And they're like, well, no, we're not saying that. And it's like, well, then what are you saying? And helping them to really think. And I have had, I don't know how many kids who say to me, Pastor Rick, thank you so much. That was really helpful. We really understand the church a whole lot better. So just because you've been part of the church all your life and you've heard all these things, you've heard probably thousands of sermons, it doesn't mean that you necessarily grasp it. So I would say parents, um, on, on, although we're not able to do a communicants class right now, I would encourage you, if you have a younger person, maybe to get a hold of this book and go through it with them. I'd be more than happy to go through it too uh, or to help you in any way I can to make sure that our kids sort of to grasp and, and understand that. So anyway, that's just sort of a... I get no uh, uh, money back for trying to push this book. I just think it's a good basic resource. So anyway, um, so anyway, okay. So if you are a member of, so we, we have the class, and if you are a member of another church right now, then um, what I would ask you to do is, if you if you're not sure if you want to become a member of Kirk of the Plains, then just go through the class. Okay, just um, just. Listen to what we have to say, and you decide, is this the right church for me to be at, or do I need to be somewhere else? That's great. But if you've already made up your mind and you've said, look, I know I want to be part of Kirk of the Plains, then I would encourage you to go ahead and contact your church that you're a member of and tell them that you want to transfer your membership to Kirk of the Plains. And then they will send us a letter of transfer. As a matter of fact, uh, one family, the church has already... Uh, sent me their letter of transfer because that family has already communicated that they're going to transfer their membership here. And so uh, then when we get done with the class and we go through the rest of the process, then we'll have that letter of transfer. What that letter of transfer does is the scriptures do talk about sort of what Nicole mentioned earlier about church discipline and and that there are times when members are are. Well, it's like our kids. They're just disobedient. They, they refuse to obey what God says. And so sometimes the Lord calls churches to discipline members. And if somebody is under discipline, I don't want to receive them into membership. You know, they need to go back to the church that they're in and they need to get that resolved with their leadership and repent of that sin. Then we would be more than happy to receive them into membership. So we want to support that church and in their discipline. And so letters of transfer, basically the church says, hey, this person is in good standing with us and we gladly transfer them to, to you. And we're like, and we gladly receive them. So, um, so you can go ahead and contact that. Plus I think, you know, I used to be a big proponent of having like Kirk of the Plains contact whatever church you belong to and ask for membership. But I'm, as I'm growing as a pastor, I'm seeing the benefit of individuals going back to the church and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going with this church and this is why. And um, because I think that brings closure. That helps the leadership to see what you're doing. And it also sort of forces you that if there's any problems that you have with that church, that you get that reconciled with them before you come here. You know, um, if there's what I find is, is if you have baggage with another church, you're going to bring that baggage to this church. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help Kirk of the Plains. And it's better just to go ahead and get that resolved. So go through the class. If you if you have your membership somewhere else, transfer that. And uh, and if if you're if you're not a member of another class, like I know some of you have never become a community <laughs> member of a church, you would actually become a member by profession of faith. 
And that's, you're just saying, I've never been a member of a church, and I'll do that. Another way to become a member, I don't know that anybody in here fits this category, would be a reaffirmation of faith. That would be somebody who had been part of a church before, but maybe they left that church, and then they just sort of bounced around from church to church, and they never really joined another church, and that first church dropped them from their roles. And so they're really not members of any church. Or maybe they walked away from the church and uh, said, I don't want anything to do with Christianity, but the Lord's worked in their heart and they now come back to Christ, they would come through reaffirmation of faith. So there's different ways that you can become members. And I'll be more than happy to help you with those little categories. So if you have questions, you can just see me. It's not as complicated as what it sounds. But anyway, so you go through this class. Then after you go through this class and you say, I want to become a member, then you would meet with our elders of our church. And all of our elders go to other churches, so we're going to have to set up a special time to do that. And they're going to just meet with you, and they're going to want to hear about your faith in Christ and and how that affects your life now. Not just what you did when you were 10 years old, that you prayed a prayer. They want to know that that faith is real now. And, and, And so they'll talk to you about that. And then they'll answer any questions you have. You might have questions about Kirk of the Plains, and they'd be more than happy to answer that. And then, um, you'll stand up before our congregation, and we will ask you five membership vows. And you have those in front of you on your handout. And so I won't read through each one of those. We'll actually end up, this, the class is going to be five weeks long, and we're going to go through a question every week. And, uh, and, and with some extra material like we're doing this morning. And we're going to, to answer those questions so you understand what those vows entail. And then um, you'll answer those, hopefully, in the affirmative. I, yes, I do. You know, do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope, save, or accept in his sovereign mercy? And you would say, I do. Sort of like a wedding type thing. And, and by the way, this, these are vows. When you stand up before the congregation, you're making a public profession of your faith. You are vowing not only before the congregation, but even more importantly before God that these things are true. And so, so take these things very seriously. Um, any questions about that process? I think most of you have probably been through that, but it's, it's fairly simple. The other thing, when you join Kirk of the Plains, then you also become a member of the Presbyterian Church in America. That's the denomination we belong to. And rather than, you know, take about 15 minutes and walking through the entire history of the PCA, I just gave you a handout where you can just read sort of what the history is, the background, sort of what we stand for. And, uh, and then if you have questions about that, you can just ask me that in, in, in the future. Um, Okay, let me, let me just tell you a little bit about the beginnings of Kirk of the Plains. Okay, some of you have been here since the very beginning, and you've walked through all of this. Others have come later on throughout the process. So let me just sort of explain to you, because where we come, came from and, and, and what the Lord has done in the past is going to affect what we're going to do in the future as a church. And you just need to make sure you know where we're heading, and you're comfortable with that. Um, to know if this is the right church that the Lord's calling you to. But basically, uh, I, have, I have never seen myself as a church planter, ever. I've gone to some church planting seminars with some friends and family members who were interested in church planting. And, you know, and I would take the little test, and the PCA said, Rick, you are not a church planter. You are not a church planter. You're not a church planter type. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. So that was one thing that went on in my life way, way, way many years ago. The other thing that I observed over the years is how churches either seem to be concerned about the doctrine and what the Bible teaches and they want to be pure and careful and understanding the Word of God, or they're compassionate and they're very evangelistic. So it either seems like they were a theological or they were you know, evangelistic, outreach-focused, and concerned about mercy. It, one or the other. It seemed like rarely did I ever see those two things married together, and I never understood why that was the case. And I always thought, Lord, if I ever did plant a church, though, I would love to see a church that had both of those elements. I like it. I like the way Nicole put it one time. She said, you know, I like the fact that we want to be a confessional church and a compassionate church. 
And, and that's really, I think, what we're shooting for here at Kirk of the Plains, that there's both. So we want to know what God's Word says. We want to be students of the Word, but we also want to be a church that walks through the mud and the gunk and the yuckiness of people's sins to tell them about Jesus Christ and the hope that comes only in Him, which is going to mean a lot of inconvenience for our lives. It's going to mean a lot of you know, messiness in our lives as we love other people and as we are patient and careful with them. So anyway, that's, those are sort of a couple of the things. So now I come to Kansas and I've been in, I've been on the other side of the Mississippi River in the Southeast. The PCA is everywhere. The only people that really outnumbered us were the Baptists. And that's because there's a Baptist church in every corner in the (laughs) South, you know, but other than that, the PCA was, was very strong, came out here and um, I said I was reformed, and people were like, well, what prison did you get out of then? You know, I mean, they just didn't understand what reformed was. You know, we're, we're in the south in a city the size of Wichita. There might be, you know, 15, 20 PCA churches. You know, there was two PCA churches. And it was like, okay, this is different. And, you know, just notice there wasn't a lot. Well, then while I was associate pastor at Heartland, then people began to call Heartland, and I don't know why, I usually ended up with these calls. You know, I'd get these calls from people, and, and some of the people are sitting in this room, would call and say, have you guys ever thought about planting a church in, you know, McPherson, or, you know, Dodge City, or, you know, all these different places around Kansas, you know, Douglas, Kansas, places like that. And, you know, I had to say, well, no, we're not really thinking about that. And, you know, these people eventually, came to Harlan, which was fine, but I just, I, I got no less than half a dozen of those phone calls. And it just broke my heart. I thought, you know, these people don't have a Presbyterian Reformed Church close to them. And I just think, how sad that is. And, you know, and we don't really have plans to be planting a church. You know, we like to plant churches, but we're not intentionally doing that. And our Presbytery at that time wasn't really thinking about that. So the Lord began to work in my heart to think, you know, somebody ought to do something about that. But I knew I couldn't do something about that because, remember, I'm not a church planting type of pastor. Okay, and it's true. I don't wear the skinny jeans or the glasses, nor do I go to the coffee shops and sit on my laptop and do whatever. So, you know, so that was fine. So somebody else had to do that. So I started praying, Lord, would you raise up somebody to do that? Well, then I started reading some church planting material. And uh, and one of the things I got a hold of was the OPC Church's manual, church manual, or the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's a sister denomination to us, and and they said something a little bit different that I'd never read before. They said really a church planting pastor isn't something like some special kind of person. It's just a pastor who pastors a church from the very beginning of the life of that church. And I thought, oh. Well, I can do that. You know, I can't sit in the coffee shop and I, I, I you know, I, I'm not the, the church planning type, but I could pastor, I could preach and I could shepherd and I could love people. And so I thought, hmm, maybe I could plant a church. So I went to the Heartland session and that was, you know, probably 10 years ago. And I said, you know, I wonder if maybe someday the Lord might want me to plant a church, but I know it's not anytime soon. And they're like, okay. And I said, so just pray, you know, that if the Lord wants me to do that, he'll let that be known. And so uh, probably, well, was back in 2014, I went to this session and I said, about eight years later, and I said, hey, I actually think now is the time. And so I thought maybe that Kirk of the Plains would be maybe a church plant of, of Heartland. It didn't work out that way just due to various circumstances. I won't go into details, but they were very supportive of me planning Kirk of the Plains, and gave me the, the opportunity to do that while I was still working at, at Heartland. And uh, and we just began in 2015, we had a meeting and we just said, hey, who's interested in being part of this? Some of you were at that meeting and, and you were part of this. And we just began to pray. We began to meet, have Bible studies. The Lord expanded that to worship service on Sunday evenings once a month. And until uh, in August of this year, you know, we we began to um, have regular worship services. Well, actually, in September, we had regular worship services, but we became a missions church in August of this year. Now, I just want you to know my goal is not to plant Kirk of the Plains. Actually, that's not my vision. The, the vision that that. 
I desire, I think the Lord wants as well. You guys can check me on this as the years go by. But that is to instead plant Presbyterian and Reformed churches all across the state of Kansas. And the thing that's neat about that is, is while I'm having this desire, then there's this young pastor by the name of Brian Huff who plants a church in Manhattan, Kansas. And they actually became a particular church uh, last fall, uh, just about this time. And, uh, and he has a heart to plant churches all over the state of Kansas. Our presbytery is now getting really excited about planting churches, you know, in Kansas. And so it's like the Lord's bringing all this together. So to me, Kirk of the Plains is just the first step in a much larger vision. And so what that means is this, that, you know, Kirk of the Plains, I really never desire for it to be a large church. You know, maybe it'll be a church of 300, maybe it'll be a church of 200, maybe it'll be a church of 500, I don't know. Only the Lord knows the size. But the emphasis or the focus, what I hope a Kirk of the Plains will be, is to plant churches that are planting churches. That's, that's my heart's desire. And so that's going to be a certain commitment for us. One commitment it's going to mean is that we're going to pray and that that's going to be the tone and the demeanor of our church. We're going to be praying expectantly that we're going to be involved in planting churches. Okay? So that's one thing. The other thing is, is that financially, you know, we may build a building one day. I hope we will. But that may be the only building we ever build. You know, we may then take our finances, you know, other than just maintaining that building and using that money to help other churches get started. So we may be spending our mo- most of our money for many years to come for other people, you know, and that other works would happen in other cities, maybe paying pastor salary or, or helping with the building. So just remember all this stuff we're going through as we're getting started, okay? Because we're hopefully going to walk through this with somebody else and remember back and think, boy, how would have been nice if somebody would have walked alongside us and helped us or how people are walking alongside us and helping us. And maybe we can be involved in that as well. But it also might mean a commitment for some of you to go and to be part of church plants. You know, if we start a church plant in Douglas, some of you may be part of that or El Dorado or wherever. And so what my hope is, is that we will draw people from all different areas like we are now. We have people from Burns and El Dorado and Douglas, and we have people from Wichita. We have people from Bel Air. You know, we have people from Augusta. You know, my family and I, we're the only ones that live in Andover. Now, I hope that changes, but, you know, but there's people from all over. But what my hope and desire is, is as the Lord gives us a concentration from a certain area, maybe we have five or six families or ten families from a certain area, we might go, hey, maybe the Lord is wanting us to plant a church here and that we can then get behind them and help them to to plant a church. So that's really uh, what our, you know, what I hope our focus will be. Part of that will be this, and I'll tell you this. This is sometimes harder for Christians than anything. Part of that's going to be willing to say goodbye to our people a lot. You know, sometimes it's easy to leave and go and be with the church plant. Sometimes it's hard to be on the other side and say goodbye. You know, because you love these people and you just want to have them in your life forever. And you know if they go plant a church, you're not going to see them as much. And I do hope we'll work together as church plants. And, and churches, but you know it's just not going to be the same. So we have to be willing to let our desires go for the kingdom of God. Make sense? So there, there's a lot of commitments that are sort of wrapped up in that. So anyway, all right, that's sort of the background. And now we're going to take you know about 15 minutes and go through the first question. If you don't have any questions, if you want to sort of see the timeline, and I'm going to maintain this timeline. Uh, if you go to our website, kotp.org, and go to the About Us tag, there's actually, I'm creating a timeline of things, of, of uh, markers in the history of our church. Because I want us to be able to always be looking back to see how God has been at work. And, and I hope that timeline will become sort of a, an instrument to encourage us to praise and worship the Lord. And also, as we're looking forward to church plants, and when we start reaching obstacles and we're tempted to be discouraged, we can look at this our timeline and go, but God worked in this way in our church. How will he not also work in this church's life as well? And so encourage us to continue to do so. So anyway, all right, any questions before we jump in? Okay, first membership question. You have right there, I already read it. 
Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope uh, except through his sovereign mercy? Okay. Uh, This really is a biblical question, and and I'm going to really break it up into three parts, okay? The Apostle Paul, uh, as we're going to look at Romans here in just a minute, talks about three truths that we need to keep in mind. First of all, that we are sinners, okay? Second of all, that uh, not only are we sinners, but we are justly condemned by God for our sin. In other words, when God condemns us for our sin, he's right. So we are justly condemned by God for our sins. And then third, we are without hope apart from God's mercy. If it weren't for God's mercy that he showed us, we would have no hope whatsoever. So let me just go through these things. So the first thing, you know, is that all true Christians acknowledge that they're sinners and this, this is going to help us as we think about these things to think, am I a Christian? Is the Lord at work in my life? Is this, are these things that I see in my life? Okay, so first of all, you would see that you're a sinner. And I know a lot of people don't like this teaching. And, and actually, many churches don't even talk about sin anymore. And I'm not just talking about uh, unbelievers or, or even liberal churches. Even many evangelical churches, unfortunately, don't really talk about sin as much, but I'll tell you what. Of any of the doctrines, this is the one that's probably the easiest to prove. When people say, "Well, I don't really believe in in you know people being sinners or total depravity," then I'll say, I'll, "Do me a favor. Would you volunteer to keep the nursery for six months, and then you tell me that you know we are not born sinners, okay? And just keep the babies, you know, and and we'll see. And then let's sit down and let's talk about this doctrine again." You know, and the reality is, is we see that there's really sin everywhere. I mean, and David even said in Psalm 51, verse 5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. That's another word for sin. I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So it's not something we learn. It's something that we're born with, that this, this sin nature. And uh, it's interesting that if you go back and you look at the first words, that Jesus spoke in his ministry or the first words that John the Baptist spoke? What did they come? What was his message? Repent. Repent. Okay? Uh, that's the beginning of the gospel. Repent. Turn from your sins. You are a sinner. I mean, when, when Peter preached his great, you know, sermon on the day of Pentecost and, and everybody's like, well, what, what, what should we do? What did he say? Repent was the first word that, that he said. So that's sort of the, the gateway into God's uh, mercy is for us to see ourselves as we are. One of the, the best illustrations I've ever heard of this, and you, you may have heard this, but the, the Times London, which is a newspaper in London, um, just ran an editorial and just said, hey, People, write an essay and send it into our newspaper as to what you think is wrong with the world today. And so they got all these different responses as to what they thought was wrong with the world today. But G.K. Chesterton, who was a famous author, he sent in uh, an essay, which was probably the shortest one they ever received. But this is, I'll read you in his entire letter. He said, Dear Sir, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. Okay? He understood that you know, what the Bible teaches, that the problem in the world today is not, you know, an educational problem or a political problem. It's a sin problem. And I'm the problem because sin dwells in me. But, um, you know, that's not just something that's part of the, the Christian life from the beginning. And it's like we become Christians and then we no longer struggle with sin. That, that remnant of the sin nature is always there. And we're always going to be be battling that. And so we ought not be surprised when we encounter sin. All right? When we encounter sin even in our midst. And yet churches are oftentimes surprised. You know, they'll be like, I can't believe so-and-so said this about me. Or, you know, I can't believe that, you know, my kids rebelled and, and my family's going through this. We ought not to be surprised by sin. I mean, you think the Corinthian church is 
it's it's a it's a puzzle to me, but it's also an encouragement to me. You know, I've, I've probably never read of of a more uh, godless church in one way, and and yet it sort of reminds me that God's grace is sufficient for the greatest of us that are sinners, which brings me great <coughs> comfort. But you know, you think about it, uh, you could characterize. The Corinthian church is a church in which you saw the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in great ways. You had prophecies, you had speaking in tongues, you know, you had healings, you had all these things that were taking place. But at the same time, on the flip side, you had people who were suing each other. You had one guy who was like having an affair with his stepmother, and the church was okay with that. They didn't even say anything about it. You know, there was just all kinds of, it's just sort of this like the schizophrenic type thing. Well, if that's true in the Corinthian church, then should we be surprised if that happened in our church as well? So, you know, there is a sense in which understanding, you know, that that we are sinners is, is not something that should surprise us. You know, and I mean, even... David and Bathsheba, you know, David, who's a man after God's own heart, you know, fell in and to sin. So, you know, we, we are all big sinners. And when it says that, you know, um, in Romans, can somebody quote Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. That falling short there, sometimes we, we think that means, well, we just missed the mark a little bit. Actually, that idea there with falling short is the idea that you missed the point of life. I mean, you missed the whole target. You know, so God created you to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. And it's not just that you missed that a little bit. You just totally missed the whole purpose for why God created you. You know, because we are sinners. We have sinned. And so, you know, that's that's really what we need to understand. Sin is not just a, a little problem. It is huge, you know, in our lives. And so, as one person said, they said, the message of the first question in, the, in our vows is, you know, could be summarized this way. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. You know? We, we are sort of blind to our sin. I mean, doesn't Matthew talk about that? He said, you know, you try to take the log out of your brother's eye, or excuse me, you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye, when you have a log in your own eye, you see how he's comparing how we view sin. Your sin is huge. My sin is just tiny, but that's not true. You know, my sin is like a log, and and that's part of the reason not to steal the thunder of this video series that we'll go through at some point in time. But that's why we need each other, because I think that my sin is a speck when it's a log. Okay. But you can see my sin more clearly, right? You see my sin as it is. And so you can help me in those things where I have blind spots as well. So I guess I would, you know, ask you, how do you view yourself? Do you see yourself as, as a person who is a sinner? And I would say this. One of the things I noticed about Christians as they get older, it doesn't always happen, but oftentimes the older they get, the more clearly they see their sin. Okay, and I would ask, you know, those of you that are younger, you know, teens, preteens, really all of us, but especially you guys, as you think about the fact that you're a sinner, do you really think that? Or you, do you just know that that's what you've been taught all your life? Do you really, truly see the depth of your sin? You know, there's gonna, it's going to be a process. We're not all going to see our sin as clearly as you know, as maybe we ought, it's going to be sort of a process. But has God opened your eyes to begin to see that process, to see that there is that sin and that need of him? So um, so all Christians not only see that they're sinners, but all true Christians also acknowledge that they are rightly condemned. Um, somebody read Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Romans 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who do such things. 
Okay, so he says here that we are without excuse. Now that, that's, a, that's a term that was used in Roman law where the judge would say, you know, you know what? You have no case. You know, you, you have no argument. You have nothing to say for yourself. You know, you, you, can't, you can't say there was mitigating circumstances. You can't say any of that. You know, the reality is you were just guilty. I mean, it's just that obvious you were without excuse. And that's how the Bible describes us is we are that person who is without excuse. Um, and so the Christian Lord, you know, stands before the Lord and says, Lord, not only am I a sinner, I, I don't have anything to say in defense of that. You know, when, when God confronted Adam with his sin, what did he say? It's a woman you gave me. She did it. You know, that is the heart of an unregenerate person. But, but a person who God has opened their eyes to see themselves as they really are really says, well, I could blame other people, but the reality is I know, honestly, it, it was me. And, and so part of what that means is, as far as an application for us as a church, is you're going to have people that are going to say things about you that you're not going to like. They're going to talk about your sin. Okay? And you're not going to like that. And I wish as a pastor I could protect us from each other in that regards. That that wouldn't happen, but it's going to happen. But you know what? If it does, the truly, if we really truly grasp the gospel, when when we hear that they're saying something about us, we ought to go to them, and you know what we ought to say. Actually, you're wrong. I am way worse than the gossip that you're spreading, okay? You really don't know me like you think you do. And, you know, what you're saying is not only true, but I could even add more to that, you know? And you know what? I have no excuse for that. And so there is a sense in which there ought to be a graciousness with each other to know that none of us are without an excuse. Anytime we're pointing the finger at each other, do you know what we're really saying? I do have an excuse, Okay, I'm actually better than you. Okay, and you know, so you got to get your act together, like me, and be like me. But a man, a man and a woman, a child who is humbled by God's grace, is a person who sees that they're a sinner and sees that they're without excuse. Um, so that's the second thing. The third thing: all true Christians acknowledge that their only hope is in God's mercy. Uh, let me just read Romans uh, five. 6 and 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we are not only helpless, but we're also, we have no hope. We, we can't figure this problem out, you know, as far as our, our sins. And, but yet, while we're in that, that sense of hopelessness, God says, well, actually, I know you can't fix that, but I have fixed that. I've sent my son to, to die, to pay the debt that you owe me for the sins that you committed against me. And, and that's the hope that we have. Um, so... You know, the second part, I guess you would say, of the gospel, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, is to, it not only says, cheer up, you're worse than you thought, but the gospel will go on to say, but God is more merciful than you ever dreamt. He is more merciful than you ever dreamt. And he, and he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And so, you know, if we, if we come with that mentality, and I think for most of us... Um, You know, that's none of anything that I said is probably really shocking to you. But this is to be sort of the habit of our life, not just something that happened at one moment when we became a Christian, but it should be the habit of our life that the Holy Spirit shows us our sin and that we admit that sin. We confess that sin. We agree. We say, God, I agree. I, I am a sinner like that. And and yet then we look to seek to repent and to turn away from that sin. And I think if we were 
to have such an attitude of humility, uh, 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 such an attitude uh, coming before the Lord, it would produce several things in us. First of all, I think it would give us a real humility in our church. You know, if we really, if we were growing in, uh, you know, I think as Christians we're, we're called to grow in our understanding of the gospel. But I think, I think the thing I'm also learning as I get older is, is we're, I think we're also, one of the privileges we have is, is that we grow in our understanding of our sin. You know, that we really begin to see ourselves more and more uh, bankrupt than what we thought we were. And so as we see that, then we then look at what we have in Christ and we're like, whoa, the, the payment was so much bigger. I didn't realize I owed that much. But, you know, and so there's a sense of humility which we won't be as likely to point fingers at each other. I think we will also hopefully be humble in the sense that as we encounter sinners and people that come into Kirk of the Plains that are messy and and not just easily fixed and they don't fit into our church culture and it just sort of disrupts everything here in the church, you know, maybe there would be a sense of humility to say, you know, but God was patient with me. And so I gladly inconvenience myself that the, the Lord might use us as a church, as his instrument, to reach out and share the gospel with this person as well. So, you know, I hope there's that sense. You know, I, I mean, think about it. If you, if you really see yourself as a sinner and you really see that you have no excuse, you are like, the, the best picture I can think of is you're naked. You're just sitting out there. You're vulnerable. You know, anybody can take pot shots at you, and there's absolutely nothing that you can do to stop that. I don't know about you, but that to me is like the scariest place to be in my life. You know, and that just sort of brings about a certain sense of humility to see, our, to view ourselves that way. But then to think that in our nakedness, then Christ came and robed us with his righteousness. He clothed us. And that everything that we have comes from him. Nothing that we have comes from us. It all was received of him. So if you are the kind of person here at Kirk of the Plains that is greeting people, you know, you're using your gifts. And and people go, you know, I just love the way whenever we have visitors, you always make them feel so welcome. That's just awesome. Or, you know, uh, you are so good at teaching the kids in Sunday school. You know, if we're really honest, we have to say, you know, actually, that's not me. That was given to be by my Lord and my Savior. There's a sense of humility that comes in that. You know, as we serve each other and somebody does some kindness and they see our need and they reach out and they meet that need. And we go, thank you so much. And they go, well, you know, actually, that's not for me. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in me. There's just that sense of humility. I think the other thing that does then is, I hope it would cause us then to um, be a people who are everly, increasingly praising and worshiping the Lord for His mercy. You know, so you, you could say, you know, it was hard to worship this morning because Pastor Rick didn't put the worship service together right. I didn't like the songs he sang, the scriptures he picked out weren't good, you know, and all that. Um, and it's very easy to look at the preacher and take the pot shots and stuff like that. But I would suggest to you that what's really going to fuel our worship is not if the worship service is put together just exactly the way we think it ought to be put together. But it's going to be if we really see ourselves clearly as God sees us, you know, and if we see ourselves as those sinners, as naked and vulnerable and bare, but we also see his mercy and we are stirred up and compelled to praise and to worship him for his mercy. We are going to be a church that rocks on Sunday morning. Not that we have a rock band, but I mean that we're going to be a church that's like, you know, really wholeheartedly praising and worshiping the Lord. Uh, let me just read a few notes I had down here under this whole idea of celebrating God's sovereign mercy. Uh, God's sovereign mercy won't be something that we sort of shove off in the corner and ignore. It won't be something that we hide in the back room when people come over to visit us at our house. God's sovereign mercy will be something right up front about which we're always talking, about which we're always glorying, for which we're always thankful. 
God's sovereign mercy will be a heartbeat for us. It will be something that just flows throughout everything that we are and do in our church. And that's really my prayer for Kirk of the Plains, that we would have that that sense of celebration. It will be a part, I think, even of our conscience. And it will be a tangible part of the ministries that we do and the way that we relate to each other. And we'll always be celebrating those things. So, you know, as we think about that question that, you know, we're going to be asked for membership, you know, there's a lot that's packed into that. You know, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except through his sovereign mercy or saved from his sovereign mercy? You know, I hope you not only say yes to that just for membership's sake, but just that you can reflect on what God is doing in your life. And you can just and when you say yes, it's like, yes, praise the Lord, you know what he's doing. And it's a testimony to his greatness. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, so much um, for your goodness. I mean, that, that just seems like such an understatement. Uh, Lord, we just worship and praise you and thank you for just reminding us of uh, how you have lavished your love upon us. And may we be people that do the same. Lord, I, I just pray that you would help us to meditate and think about these things. Also, Lord, help us, we ask as well. As we move to our time of worship, may this time of teaching uh, really compel us and help us to be focused upon you. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.